0: Um, Wow, last week and tonight, do you guys feel like there's something breaking out? The Lord's doing something amongst us, and we just have to pay attention. So I thought we were just going to have another worship night, and the Lord's like, no, wind it up. I do want you to teach a little bit today. So it's going to be a very short preach, okay? So we've been doing the 10 tribes. You guys remember all of them? (laughs) I know, we were supposed to be done with them. Uh, We started out with the three Ks, if you guys remember that. Okay, uh, we had the Kenazites, the Cadmonites. I don't remember the third. <laughs> there was a third. Somebody took notes. I have to look at my notes too. And we did the Amorites, and the Amorites was was a big one, right? Because that's the one God measures sin by. And what is that? Words. The power of words. So we did two weeks on that, and we did two weeks on the Cadmonites. Why? Because it was the spirit of religion. Very, very powerful stronghold. And then we talked about fear with Hittites, and we did two weeks on that because fear is such a stronghold in people's lives. And now we're going into Canaanites. Oh, we did the parasites, indifference and apathy. Do you guys remember that? That, that was a good one too. Uh, we could have easily have done two weeks on that. But um, I'm skipping the Rephaim and Anakites because uh, it's, it's the order that's listed in Genesis 15. Because I already kind of did a preach on Anakites. Do you guys remember about Rephaim, the giants? Anakites and um, Rephaim are the same as the giants. We'll come back around to it. But I really wanted to talk today about the Canaanites. Because oftentimes the land that Israel is um, dwelling in is called the land of what? Canaan right? It it belonged to the Canaanites. And so we, it's really important to figure out what is this thing called the Canaanites? You know, what does it mean in the Hebrew word and what is, how does it apply to us? And when I look at it, it doesn't seem like it's that dangerous. When I look at it, it doesn't seem like the big one, but actually when you start to unpack some of what it means, there's such hidden danger in here that many, many Christians partner with this without knowing it especially in the prophetic culture where you feel like you're being given prophetic words and you just kind of want to help God along, you know, because it's like, Lord, you know, it's been three years. I've gotten this prophetic word seven times. I'm just going to see what I can do. And I'm not talking about partnering with a prophetic word. I'm talking about trying to make something happen. I know there's a difference and we're going to talk about that. So Canaanites literally means zealous, not jealous. We talked about jealousy. It's zealous. And it's actually premature opportunity. Let me just read the definition. You're not ready yet, and it causes discouragement because it doesn't go the way you think it should go. You're wanting more than you can handle right now, and you're impatient. And man's effort, not God opening doors for you. So I'm just reading some of these phrases, Okay, You're gifting also carries within it seeds of its own destruction do you know that you're very gifting that you you take a lot of pride in and you go this is who i am i'm really good at this actually carries seeds of your own destruction why because when you know you're that gifted there is this pride and arrogance and wanting to make something happen There's wanting to take hold of it and wanting to make something happen. And whenever I think about this, it reminds me of Whitney Houston. How many of you guys know who who she is? Okay, the younger generation may not, okay, but she was one of the greatest voices that ever lived, honestly. She was amazing. But Whitney Houston was a choir girl, gospel singer. And then she started making it in pop culture. And you guys know her life. She married a guy and they did a lot of drugs and her life just went sideways. She died a tragic death and her life was kind of aborted because of who she ended up marrying in this industry. And I remember listening to one of her interviews and she said, God gave me this gift. I can use it whichever way I want, whichever way I want. I can go into whatever environment I want because it's mine now. And I remember even hearing that interview when I was like, I don't know, 15 or 16 years old and thinking, man, if she continues believing that her life is not going to end well. Because when God gives us a gift, He's giving us a gift to steward. And in the parable of the talents, parable of the minas, we get the picture that God actually sows something into us. And remember the wicked servant who said, You want to get an investment, you want to sow, I mean, you want to harvest and you've never sown. But actually, the owner did so by giving him the talents, right? And so it's not necessarily the servant's talents or minas. It's the masters, and he's sowing into them, and and that's our gift. See, the gifting that we have, whether it's preaching, studying, singing, business, health, health industry, whatever it is, whatever gift you have, it is given to you to steward. It doesn't necessarily belong to us. It actually belongs to God who's invested in us. He's sown it into us. That's his investment. And then we are to take that and do something with it. That's true. We're not just to sit on it. But it still belongs to the Lord. It still belongs to the Lord. And because the Bible says his gifting is given irrevocably, which means without repentance, he'll never take it back. You know, there's, there's divine trust that he's placed inside of us when he gives us giftings. So Canaanites literally it's talking about premature opportunity, premature birth. And when I think about this from the Bible, the very first um, story that comes to my mind is Abraham and Sarah. When they knew they were supposed to be father and mother of many, many nations, and they weren't able to conceive, they came up with a solution. What was that solution? Ishmael, right? Ishmael happened. And the Lord prophesies about Ishmael that he'll be like a wild donkey of a man and he will always be at war with his brothers and never live in peace. This was almost 4,000 years ago. When you look at the Middle East nations and the history there, you find this prophetic word playing out over generations. The sons of Ishmael have never quite learned to live in peace with one another. See, Abraham's man-made solution to God's prophetic promise carried thousands of years of consequences. You know, when you're giving birth to something, it literally creates a ripple effect that goes on and on and on. And to this day, to this day in the Middle East, the war is against Ishmael and Isaac, the child of man's effort and the child of promise that conflict still goes on. And these are all Abraham's sons because he could not wait on the Lord and he created his own solution. I also think about Moses with zeal and premature opportunity. We didn't know that Moses actually knew his destiny until we read in Acts, Stephen giving a sermon right before he got stoned. Right before he got stoned, Stephen gives the Pharisees and the Sadducees a history lesson in Israel. You know, And they're fine with the history lesson. And in this place, there's a little nugget. He says, Moses knew he was the deliverer of Israel. Moses knew that. And because he knew that, when he saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite, he had a solution. See, God had not spoken to him yet. He did not have a commissioning yet. But somehow Moses knew that he had been rescued from a river, raised in a Pharaoh's household, because he was supposed to be the deliverer of his people. Somehow he knew that. But instead of waiting on God's strategy and solution, Moses decided, I'm going to take this opportunity and show the Israelites I'm their deliverer. How did he do that? He murdered the Egyptian that was abusing the Israelite. He killed him buried him. And he thought the Israelites would be before him. But later when he's, when he's talking to two Israelites fighting, why, why are you fighting? You guys are brother, brothers. And they accuse him and say, are you going to do to us what you did to the Egyptian? And because of that, he had to flee. And how long did he have to live in the desert? 40 more years. See, when we act prematurely, we bring the exact opposite result. It ends up delaying the promise because we're showing that we're not ready to carry the promise. And God is more interested in us carrying his promise to fulfillment while we're still whole. He doesn't want his promise to break us. He doesn't want the fulfillment of his blessings to break us. We all think we can handle blessings really well. You know, all of us have gone through sorrows, trials, tragedies. It's hard. We've gone through difficult circumstances. Most of us in the room right now are going through them now. Okay, and even if you're not going through them, many of us looking at the economy are thinking, what in the world is going to happen? We're seeing identity politics going to extremes. Extremes. You know, there um, I'm going to encourage the rest of you to actually study what's happening with Title IX. There's a revision being made, and they're going to vote on this. And Title IX has to do with um, children, education, parents, and all all the stuff that we are supposed to um, take care of with, with kids and with parents. Now, you guys know the government has authority to take away your kids if they think you're abusing them. They have authority. You can't do anything about it, right? So Title IX wants to revise this, and they're coming after our kids. And they're saying actually that um, by the age of 11, if a child is identifying as the opposite gender, if we don't counsel and actively help them transition, it's considered child abuse. And they're saying this, applying this to public school and private schools. Christian schools will not be exempt from this. And if parents oppose this kind of surgery, they will consider it abuse and the government can swoop in and take your kids. Identity politics has gone way out of control. Do you understand? It's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. We have Boston University, Yale University, spearheading a way to transition kids as young as three. This is happening on our watch. Okay, so we can look at all of that, and we can actually go, Lord, what is happening here? And we want to create some kind of deliverance, but I'm asking you if you're to be like moses and you feel like you're supposed to be a deliverer in this wait on the lord for a strategy meanwhile politically do what we can do sign petitions call your governors your senate your city council i don't even know who's actually voting on this it's probably the federal government so call this federal representation which is the senators in our in our um state who are the senators julie do you know Is it just one? At at the federal level. That's representing us at the federal level. and, and And Merkley. Okay, call their offices and say we oppose this, okay? So there are areas right now where we need to be like Moses. Do you see this? Somebody needs to rise up as Moses in our generation, whether it has to do with identity politics, politics, economy, business, Oh my gosh, and religion. Religion. Okay, there are so many things. And education, the education mountain. But when we know that we're called, it can be very easy to have the zeal of the Lord and act prematurely. Act prematurely. We are not to act prematurely. We are to act with wisdom, with patience, Holy Spirit counsel, Holy Spirit strategy. And when it's time, he says, now. But during the wait, the Hebrew word for wait, it doesn't mean, hey, don't, be, don't go after premature opportunity. Don't try to make things happen. That doesn't mean we don't do anything. That doesn't mean we don't do anything. It means we're preparing. The Hebrew word for wait literally means to like train. It's to train for when the event will happen. For instance, if you're an Olympic athlete and you have the, you have the potential to be an Olympic athlete, you see that in a child but you don't give them proper training and you throw them into competition, it's premature opportunity, even though the gifting is there. Do you understand what I'm saying? But to wait on the Lord means like a a, a gifted person who knows they're going to the Olympics, they're dedicating eight to ten hours every single day for that one moment of competition. Right? That's what it means to wait on the Lord. It means if you know you're called to an international ministry, did you even get a passport? And I hear people say things like, well, it costs $120. If I'm never going to use it, I'm not going to do it. (laughs) Then don't tell me you're called to international ministry. Because when you're called, you may not have six weeks, eight weeks for that passport to come through. You've got to already have it and know, Lord, I am waiting. I am preparing. I at least have my passport. Does that make sense? That's not premature opportunity. That's waiting on the Lord and agreeing with his promises and aligning with the prophetic words over your life. There's a difference. If you're called and God says, for me, the Lord told me years ago, he told me that I was going to preach. He told me that I was going to preach reformation, but he wouldn't open doors for me. You know, I literally heard the audible voice of God. You're like an apostle Paul in the kingdom, and I'm going to raise a Barnabas who will want you to preach and who will help you preach, and there will be sons of encouragement in your life, and this was years and years ago, and you know, there was no opportunity. There was no opportunity, and I had a great temptation at the time. I had friends who believed in me, women who saw the anointing in my life, and they started to send me suggestions. Hey, you can create a media kit. You know give you a bio a sample of your teaching send it out to all these pastors and at least get some invitations and get your ministry started and i thought on it because it's like you know when the word of god is burning in your bones if you're born to preach and his word is burning in your bones it it feels like torture (laughs) you know and my kids man anytime i had them in the car i would preach my revelation to my kids and i remember my kids at one point was like mom could you please go find a church to preach at? (laughs) Because every time I had them in the car as captive audience, I was like, do you know what the Bible says? Do you know what God is saying? And I am preaching to my kids like an audience of a 1,000 is in my car, you know? And I remember this temptation being there, and I prayed, and I was asking the Lord, is this what you want me to do? Is this how modern ministry is done? And I heard a clear no, you don't get to do that. And there was such a temptation in me to do it anyway, and I just had to go, you know what? If it's not God, it's not gonna be fun anyways. I'll just continue to wait. And it's one of the few times in my life I can say, no, I I self-deprecate too much, but it really was when wisdom kicked in. Because I don't know what what would have happened if I had done that. Then I would have created a reputation among a lot of leaders as ambitious, hungry for the mic, (coughs) not ready immature self-promoting and ambitious i already said that but it just wouldn't have gone over well it may go over okay in the business world in the political world it does not go over well in in the christian world in the spiritual world and now that we host conferences i have people writing me sometimes hey if you need a speaker here i am here's my bio with no relationship you know, and I'm like, I'm so glad I didn't do that. I am so glad I didn't, I didn't give in to the Canaanite spirit and the temptation to open doors before the Lord was opening the doors. Premature opportunity. Making things happen. You know, Bill Johnson says, when you make things happen and you arrive at your goal because you hustled your way there, you're going to have to hustle the rest of your life to stay. But if it's the favor of God, and you wait on him, and he opens doors, that favor will keep you there. See, we have a prophetic culture. Our conference is always about giving prophetic words. We have a prophetic culture, and it's dear to my heart. I love prophetic culture. I have prophetic words that are so big. In, In one year, I got this one particular prophetic word that was so big. Seven different people prophesied the same word to me. Somebody from Canada, somebody from Texas, somebody from Redding, California, somebody from Medford. I I, I can't remember everybody, but seven, oh, somebody from Portland, that's five. None of them knew each other. They were all different streams. But they all almost verbatim prophesied the same thing to me. This was about four years ago. And I can't even see a glimmer of this coming true yet. Not yet. You know, Graham Cook says that he was prophesied that he would be a prophet to the nations 30 years before he actually started becoming a prophet, receiving the kind of a favor that he started walking in much later in life. Some of you have words, like Abraham and Sarah, that are almost too painful. It's too big. Your heart yearns for it. You want this to come to pass. And the temptation is to try to make it happen, to promote yourself and and connect yourself, network yourself, somehow into it. And sometimes we misinterpret God's word. For instance, one of Jesus' disciples is Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. And Simon the Zealot was part of a group that was very political and military. And they really started to fight. They were like guerrilla warfare against the Roman government. They would fight. They were soldiers. And they were expecting a Messiah to come that would fight the Roman government and install Israel as a nation again. They were waiting on that. And they misinterpreted the prophetic words about how Jesus would come the first time. They missed it. Simon the Zealot missed it. When he saw Jesus, he realized Jesus has something different, and he changed. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees missed it, the rest of the zealots missed it, but Simon the zealot who had missed it initially, when he encountered Jesus, something in him who was purely looking for the answer to his life, recognized it in Jesus. And that's where we need to go. We need to understand that there are things in our lives we're zealous for, and it's not a bad thing. But when we're trying to create opportunities to make something happen, sometimes making something happens happen, sometimes when we do that, what we're also doing is we start to smear other people's reputations. Because you're afraid somebody is a threat to your destiny. That somebody else is taking your portion. That they're inheriting a promise that should rightfully belong to us. And in the religious circles, it incites jealousy and competition. And we'll spiritualize our words, but we'll start to tear somebody down because of that. I see that a lot in women's ministry. You know, because there's such few opportunities for women to actually minister. And such few opportunities for women to actually be included in leadership. So when there's, like, you think the piece of the pie is very small or the pie is small and you're competing, you know, there's a lot of concerns that are addressed. I have concerns about her. Oh, I think she's this. I think she's that. And generally, at the base of it, when I'm listening, it's not really genuine concern. It's they're very jealous. They're very insecure. They're very afraid that the slice of pie they think should go to them is going to some other woman. And they're going to try to make sure it comes to them. Instead of waiting on the Lord. Instead of allowing full maturity to happen. Do you know that the body of Christ right now, we are 20 years past the due date of prophetic words that were given by William J. Seymour, Catherine Coleman, William Branham, Smith Wigglesworth. They said, in a certain period of time, it was 20 years ago, I see the greatest move of God hitting the earth. The greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit the world has ever seen will happen. And they said, I think it was like 1990 or 2000, something like that. We're literally 20 years past that date of prophecy. Why? Because the Lord is not as interested in the outcome and the fulfillment as our ability to handle the outcome and the fulfillment. I don't believe the body of Christ is healthy enough to carry the kind of glory God wants to pour out right now. We're just not healthy enough. I think God wants it more than we do. I believe the Holy Spirit is looking for a place of habitation. He's looking. Just like he said, I'm looking for somebody to stand in the gap and I can't find anybody. He's looking for a place that is whole enough, healthy enough, free enough to host the weight of his glory. There are a lot of people trying to make this happen. You know, they're fasting and praying, trying to pull God into something. And there's nothing bad about fasting and prayer. You know, they're they're frantically training and equipping, and there's nothing wrong with that. We need to wait, and we need to wait on the Lord and train and equip for the harvest that is to come. But see, the missing piece right now, I think, is emotional health. We're not whole. We don't have enough honesty to actually get healing in our hearts. There's too much ambition. There's too much striving. There's this crazy, weird celebrity culture in Christendom. There's this weird hunger for glory and the mic and and the pulpit and recognition and fame as if, you know, ministering in a small place is somehow less than. And I have been guilty of that. And I have been set up to be guilty of that because the words over my life have been so big, so big. Four years ago, it was so big. There was a season when every time I walked into a conference or I walked into some place, an itinerant ministry, I was like, This isn't what you said, God. Where are the crowds? You know, and my value system started getting tweaked. And that's what a prophetic word does. It brings out the impurity in you. Do you know that? The prophetic word is not only designed to give you hope. It's designed to make you honest with yourself. The prophetic word should cut like a knife and bring out honesty. And if you have the self-honesty before God to go, you know what, Lord? My value system now is about numbers. Something is getting tweaked. I must be having ambition. I must be wanting glory and fame. I'm coming back to you. And I had to have a season of repentance because that prophetic word was testing me. And I learned to be content in the wait and just to keep doing what he put in front of me to do one step at a time. Do I still believe in the prophetic word? Yes. How can you, mathematically, statistically, you can't even calculate how seven people will get almost the exact same words. How do you do that? People don't even know each other. That's God. I know that. I can't make it happen, but I can wait on the Lord, and I can prepare. I just want to release that, waiting on the Lord the wisdom to prepare, the tenacity to keep going, the joy, the hope, the faith that he is who he says he is. His words do not return void. And what he has prophesied and declared to you, if it delays, it's only because he wants you strong enough to actually handle the breakthrough. When the blessing comes, when the glory comes, when the outpouring comes, let us be a healthy community that God can say, I can bring in the harvest here there are healthy mothers and fathers here. There's no spirit of control, no religiosity, no condemnation and judgment and criticism, no competition, no rivalry. But there are mothers and fathers here who are saying, I want my ceiling to be their floor. I want the next generation and the people I mentor to go higher and deeper than I ever went. I don't want to have any jealousy or competition. I want to see the gifted ones and pour into them. See, God is waiting on a people who's ready for the glory. Because premature glory would kill us. It would kill us. So I just want to encourage us right now. It's 8.35. I went five minutes over what I wanted to do. But let's take like 10 minutes and break up into groups of three or four. And I want you to rehearse your prophetic word and actually get honest and say, how has this prophetic word tested the motives of your heart? Be honest. What are some of the impure things that have come out that God wants to bring out? And how do we recalibrate now and say yes to the prophetic word and actually align with God and strategically wait on the Lord? How do we do that? We break off the spirit of the Canaanites among us. No premature birth. It's not good for us. Premature babies have health struggles that can actually last through a lifetime. And when butterflies come out of the cocoon prematurely, they never learn to fly. So we don't want that. We want to be able to fly. We want our bodies healthy. We don't want premature birth. Listen, Moses had to wait until he was 80 to start actually walking in his destiny. It's okay. It doesn't matter how old we are. Jesus finished all he needed to accomplish in three and a half years of ministry. That's it. He finished everything he needed to finish in three and a half years of public ministry. God can do anything through your life at any point, at any age. I want us to contend for our prophetic words. Believe in it. But I also want the prophetic word to do what it's supposed to do and bring out our impurity and cleanse us. And then I want us to have a strategy. How are you going to wait on the Lord? Has the Lord said you're going to go internationally? Get a passport. Start getting ready. Start praying for the nations you feel you call to. Don't just wait on them to invite. Just start praying for them. Find out about the nation. Study their culture, their language. Eat their food. But wait on the Lord. Okay, so let's break up into groups of three or four, and we're going to get rid of the Canaanite spirit among us. Amen? Okay, while you guys are talking, we are going to have... Oregon Supernatural School of Ministry launching we did find a space so those of you who want to apply look for newsletters it's going to go out and I really encourage you to um, join Oregon Supernatural School of Ministry it's going to be only once a week $100 a month and you're going to it's just going to be like going through BSSM okay so uh, it's awesome news and we'll send that newsletter this week okay